2: Listening to Linux in the Ham Shack. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source, and amateur radio for everyone. Now, here are your hosts: Russ K5TUX, Cheryl W5MOO, and Bill NE4RD.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome. You have tuned in to episode number four hundred and ninety-eight of the most terrific amateur radio podcast on the internet. This is Linux in the Ham Shack, and this is our short topics episode. So, thanks for being here. Thanks for tuning in. We're glad you're with us tonight. And uh, before we start rolling into our short topics, let's go ahead and introduce ourselves. I'm Russ, K5TUX.
0: I'm Cheryl, W5MOO.
3: And I'm Bill, NE4RD.
1: All right, very good. So, we're already ready to go, and one of these days I'm going to have to figure out what has changed with charles microphone and get that taken care of (laughs) Uh, but we'll just roll with it for now so we don't have a lead topic for tonight although we might mention that hamvention's coming up in uh, very soon now so what are we down to 100 and something days right something like that yeah Um, three four four months three months three months about three months so All right, very good. We'll talk more about that later on in the show. But let's get into some amateur radio topics, and we'll let Bill fire off the first one.
3: Yeah, this is a message to U.S. educators. Amateur radio on the International Space Station contact opportunity. Uh, This is a press release from ARIS, of course, and it says, The Amateur Radio on International Space Station, ARIS, program is seeking formal and informal education institutions and organizations individually or working together to host an amateur radio contact with a crew member on board with the on board the ISS. ARIS anticipates that the contact would be held between January 1st, 2024 and June 30th, 2024 crew scheduling in the and ISS orbits will determine the exact contact dates uh, to maximize these radio contact opportunities. ARIS is looking for organizations that will draw large numbers of participants and integrate in the integrate the contact into a well-developed execution, or, sorry, <laughs> education plan. Can't even read tonight. Uh, the deadline to submit a proposal is March 31st, 2023. An ARES introductory webinar will be held on March 1st, 2023 at 8 p.m. Eastern time. And, of course, you can find that press release uh, linked in the show notes.
1: All right. Very good. U.S. educators. So uh, I know the ISS likes to talk to uh, folks on the ground using uh, amateur radio. So that's cool. Nice opportunity. So watch out for those deadlines if you want to participate. And uh, let's see if we can get Cheryl to read this next one here.
0: Our next story is Bouvet Island E expedition wraps up. The 3Y0J activation of Bouvet Island has finished. The team concluded operations at 300 UTC. Our 3 o'clock UTC on February 14th, with around 19,000 contacts logged. The team has boarded the SV Marama and has began their journey to Cape Town, South Africa. They expect to arrive by February 23rd. As of this podcast, they are in Cape Town. The effort was one of the most expensive de-expeditions of all time. The team raised $715,000 through donations and sponsorships, with each operator contributing a large sum to participate. The original plan was to operate for 22 days on the island. They had set a goal of 200,000 QSOs and hoped to operate up to 12 stations at once across modes and bands. Uh, and the math came out to thirty-seven sixty-three dollars 63 per QSO. So, and this information was obtained
1: from AWRL. so. That sounds like the ex- expensive expensive <laughs> <Yeah>. contacts, $37.63 <laughs> per QSO. Yeah. Oh, well, if you want to go to faraway places and rent boats and put up lots of equipment, I guess it does cost some money. And I, are, are we saying that their 19000 was way off of their $200,000? I'm um, thinking, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A little shy. A little shy. They ran Just under a hair shy.
3: Yeah, they ran into weather issues and stuff like that, where they decided that out of a, you know an abundance of caution, they should uh, you know bug out earlier than
1: what they had planned. Oh, too bad, too bad. But so Bouvet Island off uh, Antarctica, right somewhere? Yeah, somewhere out there in the so, middle so, of yeah, the middle of nowhere, <laughs> nowhere <Yeah. laughs> in the south. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right, very good. So that's all we had for strictly amateur radio topics. Let's go ahead and move on into open source. And the first one here is NASA launches open source science initiative. In a keynote at Fosdem 2023, NASA's science data officer Steve Crawford explored NASA's open source science initiative. Its goal is to support scientists to help them integrate open open science principles into the entire research workflow. Crawford summarized this policy with, quote, as open as possible, as restricted as necessary, and always secure, unquote. Well, I threw in an extra and there. So, and he made this more concrete, quote, publications should be made openly available with no embargo period, including research data and software. Data should be released with a Creative Commons zero license, i.e. public domain, and software with a commonly used permissive license such as Apache, BSD, or MIT, The new policy also encourages using and contributing to open-source software, end quote. Crawford added that NASA's policies will be updated to make it clear that employees can contribute to open-source projects in their official capacity. As part of its open-source science initiative, NASA has started its five-year transform to open science slash, you know, TOPS mission. This is a $40 million mission to speed up adoption of open science practices. It starts with the White House and all major U.S. federal agencies, including NASA, declaring 2023 as the year of open science. One of NASA's strategic goals with TOPS is to enable five major scientific discoveries through open science principles, Crawford said i kind of had the inflection on the wrong syllable there but that's okay (laughs) (laughs) i think we got the point across so yes open source science initiative through nasa sounds pretty cool and uh there's a story coming up that'll make you wonder about all this open source stuff and how hackable it all is so (laughs) which is exactly what we want at nasa right so uh yeah with all the uh, chinese weather balloons and whatnot so so uh they did shoot down that uh like a hobby balloon right <laughs> that's what i hear <laughs> yeah <laughs> big fun big fun i know uh, tom was talking about it on his last show so uh, yeah, they, had,
3: they had him interviewed on a few news news uh, shows as well kind of going over what they do for hobby balloons and stuff like that
1: yeah big fun but anyway this story was about nasa and uh, using open source in science that sounds pretty cool to me and i they're using they're being ex- extraordinarily permissive with licensing i mean mit and bsd those are basically like here's a license do with it what you will and of course creative Commons zero is essentially public domain so you know it, it, and it says something in the, the original quote about restricted as necessary but those licenses don't really have any restrictions so i'm curious how that'll come down but and kudos for having uh, an initialism tops that's really easy to pronounce <laughs> <laughs> couldn't butcher it somehow. So. <laughs> All right. That that story actually came from Slashdot, which means it didn't come from Slashdot. It came from somewhere else, and it got Slashdot. But anyway, I found it on Slashdot, so there you go. All right. Moving on with open source, we have a couple more topics. So we'll let Bill hit this next one.
3: Sure. This is <clears throat> the Brave Browser adds new security enhancements. Uh, the next major version of the privacy-focused Brave Browser. <clears throat>
1: excuse me. <clears throat> dying. <clears throat>
3: <laughs> we'll, shouldn't uh, be
1: smoking while you're doing the podcast. <laughs> I,
3: I quit a few minutes ago. <clears throat> yeah. Anyway, uh, the Brave browser will start blocking annoyances like open and app prompts and will feature better protection against pool party attacks. I uh, hate those pool party attacks. Uh, obtrusive open and app pop-ups aim to take visitors to a space where browser's privacy protections features do not apply, allowing the app author to freely gather extensive user data. Brave will now block this annoyance starting uh, version 1.49 for Windows and Android already available on iOS since version 1.44, allowing users to browse the web without unexpected interruptions. Uh, Brave version 1.49 will also add protections against pool party attacks that aim to persistently track users by abusing characteristics in the implementation of the browser features. A pool party attack can help attackers to track their target's browsing behavior across the website. They require limited shared resources or pools to create side channels that allow tracking and circumvent privacy protections in browsers. Another feature planned for version 1.49 is partial support for procedural cosmetic filters, which are used to specify which page elements should be hidden when blocking ads. Finally, Brave version 1.50 for Android will introduce more screen attribute based fingerprinting protections to prevent sites from profiling and tracking users based on their device screen size. And of course, this came from uh, Bleeping Computer. So yeah, there's some, some updates for you for the Brave browser for those of you that use it.
1: I uh, had not really dealt much with the Brave browser, but because of this story, I downloaded it on my uh, Archbox, my uh, Garuda machine, and was playing around with it. and actually quite like it. I, I might actually switch over to it from Google. We'll nice. it's really really fast they say it's three times faster than chrome and i i kind of agree so unless it has any weird hiccups that i haven't come across you know so far i might switch over to it and actually looks and feels a lot like chrome anyway
3: i think it's still based on chromium isn't it Uh, i think it is underlying rendering engine and stuff like that
1: yes Uh, and that might be a good thing because I have a couple of plugins that I use on Chrome for doing theming, site theming and stuff that I would like to use in Brave too. If it, if it, you know, carries over. So, all right. Very good. Well, uh, this is kind of a long one, but Cheryl, do you want to try and read this one?
0: No, because I will probably end up coughing in the middle of it.
1: (laughs) Uh, well, (laughs) it's not like building to do that. (laughs) That's (laughs)
0: true. I have no reason to cough though, so.
1: (laughs) That's all right. I'll go ahead and read it, so. You got stuff to do later on. So, all right. So in the last of our open source topics for tonight, we have synopsis Report Reveals Dramatic Growth in Open Source Use. And uh, it's kind of funny that you'll find out that the uh, report actually reveals a lot more things. And the growth in open source is kind of like one tiny little bullet buried down in the bill. But... (laughs) Uh, now in its eighth edition, the Synopsis Open Source Security and Risk Analysis, or OSRA, report launched earlier this week. The 2023 OSRA report examines the results of more than 1,700 audits of commercial and proprietary code bases involved in merger and acquisition transitions and highlights trends in open source usage across 17 industries. The report delivers an in-depth look at the current state of open source security, compliance, licensing, and code quality risks in commercial software with the goal of helping security, legal, risk, and development teams better understand the open source security and license risk landscape. Wow, that's a long sentence. (coughs) This year's findings revealed an overwhelming majority of code bases, 84%, contained at least one known open source vulnerability, a nearly 4% increase from last year. A five-year overview of OSRA data shows dramatic growth in open-source use. The global pandemic contributed to the ed-tech sector's adoption of open-source, which grew by 163%, with educational courses and instructor-student interactions increasingly pushed online. Another Other sectors experiencing a large spike in open-source growth include the aerospace, aviation, automotive, transportation, and logistics sector, with a 97% increase and 74% growth in manufacturing and robotics. The report also found that 31% of code bases are using open source with no discernible license or with customized licenses. This is a 55% increase from last year. The lack of a license associated with open source code or a variant of another open source license may place undesirable requirements on the licenses and will often require legal evaluation for possible IP issues or other legal implications. This kind of uh, more into the enterprise and commercial sector, but I thought it was kind of interesting there's a, there's a lot more in this report if you want to look at it this particular story came from the IT security guru website so kind of interesting uh, I love the uh, 84% statistic 8.4 code bases out of 10 have uh, a vulnerability <laughs> so that's a lot yeah I, I think everybody kind of, sort of understands that, though. I, I saw another article that when I was browsing around for things to talk about that said that the log4j vulnerability that was basically affecting everyone is still 40% in the wild. So... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so we're not exactly containing things out there. And if, you, uh, if you're one of those enterprises or people who uses uh, Log4j, and by the way, Log4j is is kind of everywhere. It's like embedded in lots and lots of things. So you may want to be on the lookout for that if you're in the uh, security side of things. Yeah, it so. was even
3: in Minecraft. So,
1: <laughs> yep, it's it's everywhere. It's one of those very prolific uh, libraries. So,
3: yeah, I think that that kind of issue opened up a lot of people's eyes to you know integrating. A lot of these uh, open source projects <laughs> directly into your commercial application <laughs> without doing some uh, due diligence on uh, <clears throat> on uh, the viability of the project and and uh, uh, issues that are contained within that you know that are totally outside of your application. But now that you've imported it into your application, you now have the same vulnerabilities.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's that's kind of what this. Uh whole thing uh the thing about the synopsis report kind of revealed that as well if you're integrating open source uh yeah it's it's not without its perils so all right, well, that was the last of our purely open-source topics, so we're going to move on into Linux in the Ham Shack. And uh, my my story, which is the second one, actually does talk about Linux in the Ham Shack sort of uh, tangentially, and we kind of have to dig down into it. But it's an interesting story all the same. <laughs> but we're going to let Bill handle the first one first. So Yeah, this is
3: a, a project that I just recently started seeing uh, mentioned over on uh, the AmateurRadio.com radio.com. I guess uh aggregator. Is that more appropriate to what that is? It sort of reads other people's blogs. <coughs> but, sure. <laughs> uh, uh yeah. So uh yeah, this is F T eight C N. Uh this is a free Android app for F T eight. It's uh developed by BG7YZ oh sorry Y-O-Z. <laughs> Yankee Oscar Zulu from China uh and hosted by N Zero B O Y. Uh it runs F T eight natively on Android. Uh this is the notes from their you know very limited website. Uh, which is on GitHub <clears throat> uh, check releases to download the latest APK file. So, you know, you have to sideload the APK file even to use this because it's not in the app store or the play store. Um, Steve G one K Q H has been keeping track of the project on amateur radio.com. And you can kind of backfill the whole story, what he's been looking at. I have not actually downloaded this or installed it, but uh, his latest posting had uh, that. They had a translated version of the operation manual. And you know, it's serious when you have to have an operation manual for uh, a, <laughs> an Android application. Uh, But anyway, uh, it is under the MIT license, and I was kind of skeptical at first because their GitHub did not have source code, but I see as of yesterday, they have checked in all the source code. So now you can actually review all the source code for this uh, MIT license project and uh, possibly consider taking a look at it uh, on your uh, favorite Android device. And uh, that's all I have from it because I really didn't uh, look at it very very fully, but uh, it is quite interesting and uh, quite, uh, you know, phone like it's a uh, it's a nice graphical us- user interface, probably more opt for like a tablet or something with a little bit larger screen. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, your mileage may vary on it, but uh, at least the source code is now published so you can review that um, you could possibly make your own package so you can feel more comfortable about the APK because, you know, the APK is <laughs> could be could be something completely different. We never know.
1: But, uh, yeah, check it out, FT8CN. Well, that's really interesting. Can't use it, don't have an Android. But, you know, well, that's technically not true. I have an Android tablet I could use it on. So, may give that a shot, see how it works. I've been working some FT8 today. I got, uh, I don't know, three or four contacts on uh, 15 meters. I saw the other day that you said that six meters was open into South America, and I checked it the last two days, and it's been dead, 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 dead. So.
3: <laughs> That's the thing with six meters; it's magical. You know, it's it'll be there and then it's not. So you have to kind of pay attention to uh, uh, various sites. I use uh DX maps or something like that, and it just alerts me anytime there's a six meter opening. So uh, sometimes there's an opening to all the way up here, but you know, sometimes there's not. But at least you can kind of see if there's some interesting activity going on.
1: Yep, really, really good. FTA is still a fun mode. I still like doing it. Although I've got to get back into some more voice and stuff with a little more like human interaction, <laughs> so I can oh. say I really participate in the hobby. So yeah, you know, we'll get there someday. Real okay, ham radio, so, yeah, real <laughs> ham radio, exactly. So, so kudos to anyone who figures out before I get to the end of this story what the amateur radio connection is. <laughs> so here we go. MRE physicist to study airborne microbes. Microbes have been incredible ability to have the an incredible ability. Okay, let's start at the beginning. (laughs) Microbes have an incredible ability to thrive in different environments. Extensive research has shown the vital roles that these invisible organisms play in the ecosystems of marine and soil environments. But the atmosphere is another important habitat. Growing evidence shows that microbes in the Earth's atmosphere can affect rainfall, land fertilization, and food production. The W.M. Keck Foundation awarded Emory University physicists Justin Burton and min Kim $1.2 million to explore these mysteries. The Emory Project will create new tools to conduct never-before-done studies of how microbes adapt to living in air. Team members at the University of Oregon will release a series of small ultralight balloons. They will float on easterly winds across the country at altitudes between 5 and 6 kilometers, which is comparable to those of Saharan dust clouds and wildfire plumes. Each balloon will house sterile titanium booms, affixed with tiny sponges to trap microbes within their pores. Balloon positions and sensor data, including temperature, pressure, humidity, and dust concentration, will be transmitted continuously using amateur radio bands. As the balloons fly over Georgia, descent will be controlled using parachutes. GPS beacons will be enabled upon landing, allowing the researchers to pinpoint and recover the balloons. The methods developed in the lab and the resulting data will be open source scientists around the world can build on the work and continue to push the boundaries in the field of air biology so well that's if the air force doesn't shoot down their balloons <laughs> well, that's true <laughs> they're gonna have to be a little more careful than they thought they might
0: <laughs> i thought late. i
1: thought the
3: balloons would get shot down or not shot down or you know the whole balloon projects would get you know canned because of the pollution aspect of uh these payloads landing in random eco-sensitive areas and stuff like that, but uh, I never, never really gave it a thought that, uh, that that you know our military would be shooting down hobbyist balloons. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's a typical knee-jerk overreaction to uh, one perceived threat, you know. And I kind of got it. Was it? I, the thing that I've been hearing is NORAD has sort of like. You know, when they monitor the skies, they have, they filter out certain things and they basically reject things they consider spurious. And what they did was after the Chinese spy balloon thing, they just, they removed all the filters basically. And anything that was up in the sky, they were like, let's go shoot it. So (laughs) that's kind of like where I feel like this has been. At least that's what I've been hearing. So not that I know anything about it. So you know, hopefully they're not shooting down like you know seven thirty sevens or anything. Like <laughs> <'Cause> you're, <laughs> you're moving too slow, sir. <laughs> just, we can get Top Gun Maverick on the on the case here, uh, and uh, I guess the, uh, the the fighter pilot had that one selfie. Did it look like it was taken? It looked like it was taken with like an iPhone or something. <laughs> it's like we get these uh, you know billion dollar fighter jets, and they're like taking cell phone pictures of the stuff. <laughs> but anyway. So uh there there was your nice tenuous link to amateur radio and that story about air quality and uh and airborne uh organisms but it sounds interesting anyway that came from uh a a blog or a uh, news outlet online from Emory University so at least we're broadening the scope of our uh, our sources <laughs> and and one thing that's kind of nice is uh we we always complained about the fact that um southgate arc you know would would scoop all of these stories and unfortunately you know he has passed we talked about that on a previous episode but now that there is no southgate arc like aggregating all these stories we can say we got them ourselves (laughs) so (laughs) absolutely all right well that's all the stories we have well, wow, that kind of went quick. It, it seems early because we started, like, on time, which is really weird. So apologies to everybody who thought we'd be a half hour late and the show's already over. Um, but we do have some announcements and feedback. We should probably get to those. So I'll get to the first one here. And uh, I got an email from Elon Robinovich about Scale 20, and he would wanted us to mention it uh scale the southern california linux expo is coming up again march 9th through the 12th 2023 at the pasadena convention center in southern california this is the 20th year running for the conference this year they have keynotes by ken thompson creator of unix and go arun gupta from intel and cncf and Kitty Jung, physicist and artist. As usual, they have ham radio content, including site exams, demos by Arden, and a ham radio meetup, among other things. The promo code ham, H-A-M, will get you 50% off registration. Uh, registration is already pretty inexpensive. I think the full pass is like $85, but you can get it for 42 50 if you use the code ham, and I did uh, check that out, and it does work. So there you go. So if you're able to get to scale, that would be, uh, behoove you to use that code. Uh, and thanks to Elon KG six E R M for letting us know about that. And he did say something about giving us a free ticket to give away to our listeners. Um, I asked about it and I'm waiting for a response. And as soon as I hear about that, uh, we'll do something on social media to, to raffle off a ticket to scale. If it's something you can attend, you might be able to get in for free. So stay tuned and that's all i had to say about that and bill wants to talk about uh something i guess we're not participating in anymore
3: (laughs) (laughs) not necessarily maybe uh, maybe yeah yeah we just haven't signed up for it uh yeah the qso today uh, virtual ham expo is coming up here at the end of march uh, march 25th through 26th Uh, they got lots of speakers lined up and the usual uh crowd of virtual uh, uh, booths uh to go and explore this is a great opportunity for those of you that can't make it out to a uh, you know, an event like Hamvention or whatnot, or Hamcation, or any of those uh, in person events, and prefer to do the virtual ones, uh, go check out uh, the said Today Virtual Ham Expo. Uh,
1: I was typing.
3: <laughs> I'm still typing. Talk. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So, Hamvention, uh, we have a GoFundMe co- that'll be live soon. Ha ha. <laughs> if Russ gets to it. Uh, I'll get yeah, we're looking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're only looking for uh, $500 this time for all around, for all expenses. Um, uh, yeah, the uh, invention is coming up in may, uh, 19th, 20th and 21st. If I'm remembering correctly, it's, it's somewhere close to that weekend date. And, uh, we will of course be in the Hertz building, building five in our usual, usual spot, uh, by the door. So, uh, please, uh, if you're coming, uh, plan on visiting us. And if, uh, you feel so inclined, please, uh, Please hit our GoFundMe that will be live very soon, and we'll be posting it on all our social media stuff and our mailing list, most likely, right?
1: Absolutely. Everywhere I can post it. And if I remember rightly, the booth number is 5004. So, but I mean, we're easy to find. So, <laughs> where we're everybody like ducks out the side door of the Hertz building. So, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> all right. Well, that brings us down to the end of our announcements and feedback. And you notice there was no feedback because there was no feedback. So (laughs) um, mostly because I didn't look for feedback. There might have been some. We'll definitely pick it up in the next episode if there was. So if you have any to send, please do so. But with that, let's get down to the new subscribers, supporters, and live participants. And so we'll bring Cheryl back in here to uh run down through this list. And we had one like just a few minutes ago. So I may I may that's when I was adding to the list.
0: Okay, so you're all done. Okay. Uh yes. Well then I'll start on the list then. So so for okay. this week, we did not have any new subscribers or Patreons. We didn't have anybody new join us on Facebook, but we did have two people on Twitter at Robbie Klein 785 and at 219 underscore got underscore down. No one joined us on YouTube. There was no uh, new mailing list. Thanks. Um, on Discord, we had Orb. We had Sergey. Zn4A or excuse me, ON4AA and Brent Vy2HF or W1PJ. And on live chat, we had Tony K4XSS, Don KB2YSI, Stacy KB7YS, Winston KB2WLL, and Ted WA0EIR.
1: All right. Well, I do apologize to anyone who might have come into the show around 830 thinking that we would just be starting, only to find out that we are just now ending. (laughs) uh, See what happens when you are late all the time and then decide to be on time for once. Uh,
0: We we need to start messing with our – stop messing with our listeners. (laughs)
1: Well, well, that's true.
0: Or start. Or (laughs) or start. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: But that is all we've got for tonight, nice and sweet and short, and that's the way it should be for a Short Topics episode. We want to thank everybody who listened in live and uh, who participated in the show tonight by chatting with us. And uh, we want to thank everybody who listens to the show in general. We really appreciate you all, and especially those who support us financially and help keep the lights on. We really appreciate it. We're looking forward to meeting everybody at Hamvention again this year, so hope everybody can make it out. In the meantime, we have a few episodes to go before that happens, and we have our 500th episode giveaway that will be coming up soon, and all of these details will be posted on social media and on the mailing list very, very soon. I promise we'll get to it. So with that, let's go ahead and wrap this one up and let everybody go about the business of their day. This has been episode number 498 of Linux in the Hamshack. I'm Russ, K5TUX.
0: I'm Cheryl, W5MOO.
1: And I'm Bill, NE4RD, 73.
2: Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the podcast by visiting the LHS Patreon page at patreoncom Podcast or by using the contribute list on the homepage. We have a presence on Discord, Facebook, IRC, Twitter, and YouTube. You can also drop us an email at info at lhspodcast.info or leave us a voicemail at one nine zero nine lhs show That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the online LHS merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable show-themed merchandise. Until next time, remember to always heed your hedonism.